You know, I always say that if you love my show, please support my sponsors. Well, Balesa.co is a sponsor that you'll want to go and support because all I'm asking you to do is to visit their website, B-E-L-L-E-S-A dot C-O, which is a completely free site that has all kinds of things to explore. Yes, for free. From sensual adult movies to erotic fiction and current event articles, Balesa has so much to offer. They view sexuality through a feminine lens, and I have to say it's so refreshing to see adult content portrayed in this way. So please drop in at balesa.co and get lost in the incredible amount of content they have to offer for free. Today's show, I am welcoming old friend and sex therapist, Amy Harwick. Amy and I met a long time ago when I actually shot her for Playboy, and she is now a licensed therapist. Um, She focuses on sex therapy, and she's got some really incredible insight that I'm excited to hear about. I always love learning about human sexuality and people's motivation behind why they do the things they do. So I think that Amy is going to teach all of us a few things here today. So let's welcome Amy Harwick to Holly Randall Unfiltered. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. And today in the studio, I have Amy Harwick. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to be here. I know. Me too. I should say Dr. Amy Harwick, actually, (laughs) which is so exciting. Mm -hmm. So Amy and I met, how long ago did we meet? 2011. Okay. So. Yeah. To work together, 2011. Yeah, that makes sense. So we actually, I shot you for Playboy. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which came out awesome, and then I don't know, we just like kind of hit it off, and yeah. we just stayed Kept in, in touch. touch, and then yeah. you ended up. So actually, so tell me what your journey was from modeling to where you are now. Um, well, as I was in uh, my undergraduate program, I went to Cal Poly uh, Pomona to study psychology. Um, you know, as you're in school, you're do- you're doing a variety of different things to get through it. So I was a personal trainer at the time, and I started doing promotional modeling work. You know, I was a Bud- Budweiser girl and all that kind of stuff, and then ended up doing some shoots and mostly like the pinup and uh, like fashion type stuff. Mm-hmm. And then over time, I did a little more of that, and I was a professional dancer and a fire eater, kind of like a little bit of everything. Oh yeah, I remember because mm-hmm. I remember that you did like the really cool fire eating. Yeah, stuff. I still do that now, but not really. Like kind of for fun in the backyard. Yeah. Yeah, for fun. Just, you know, when you're bored. Yeah, yeah. Where's Amy? She's out back eating fire. I showed my partner because he never saw me do that before. I'm like, hey, you want to see me eat some fire? And he's like, what? And I'm like, hey, come (laughs) here, watch this. He's like, oh, my God. That's a great party trick. He didn't know that about you, like, at the beginning? I feel like if if I could eat fire, like, that would, I would put that on my Tinder profile. That's what I would tell people when I first met them, actually. That would be the first thing. Be like, hey, I'm Holly, I eat fire. Yeah. That's so rare. Like, no need to. It's fire. rare, and it's kind of like mind blowing when people judge you as a woman in LA. Yeah. They're like, oh, what do you do for work? It's like, I eat fire. Like, yeah. go away. <laughs> <laughs> I play with fire for, for money. Um, so, I did all that kind of stuff for a long time, and then I started graduate school um, and just cross paths with you. So, the, the Playboy thing really came from just a history of modeling and doing mostly like pinup, like vintage pinup. I really mm-hmm. liked a lot, and edgy rock and roll clothing companies. Um, and I just thought at the time, if I have the opportunity, if they, if I'm approached and I have the opportunity to shoot Playboy, and I'm getting a graduate degree at that time, I was I think I just graduated. I think I just graduated in 2011 from Pepperdine with my master's, and you know I, I'm not the stereotypical of what people would think in the past was right. the Playboy look. Even though now there's such a huge variety, yeah. Why not have that as a bucket list thing? Check, got my graduate degree. I'm going to go for my PhD later. I'm going to do everything I want to do, and I can also do this. Right. So I feel like you know. Very much a renaissance woman. And it's great, too, because it's like, you know, and that's where we run up against that stereotype that makes me so crazy that, like, if you're Mm -hmm. a hot woman, like, you can't possibly be smart. If you're smart, you Mm -hmm. can't be hot. Or not even that, or even sexy. Like, you can't embrace an intellectual and a a sexy side. Right. People get very confused. If I I look how I look now and have my glasses on because I don't have great eyesight, I wear Mm -hmm. contacts, people are like, oh, look at you, sexy secretary. Like, no, actually, I have a PhD and my own business. I'm not a secretary, no shame to secretaries, but just because I have glasses on, that stereotype is so so silly to me. So 
Um, it does throw people for a loop because yeah. when people meet me, because no one ever says to you like, "Oh, look at you, sexy business executive. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> look at you, sexy CEO." In that, in that funny like, way, right. yeah, it's automatically like you know the one office role that like women could only fill back in the day, right, you know? in the fifties yeah, or something exactly. like that. Um, so I like surprising people, and even when I'm being introduced, like with my with my current partner, people will say, "Oh, nice to meet you." Are you an actress trying to make it in LA? I'm yeah. like, oh no, actually I do this. And they're yeah. like, oh, oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, I saw that you posted something about going to an event. So just so the listeners understand, because um so you're engaged to Drew Carey. Yes. Yeah. And um everybody knows him as a pretty well known celebrity. Mm-hmm. So when people see you with him, they assume that you're just like a pretty face right. trying to, but they don't you're actually an educated woman right. and you have a PhD. Because you guys went to some kind of event together, right? Mm-hmm. Um that was about Sobriety and right, rock music. to recovery. A friend yes. of mine, um, they were in some rock bands in the past, and they saw how much music helps people through their sobriety and in rehab yeah. centers, and helps people uh, with their mental health. And I really support that. So I brought Drew to this event, uh, and when we got there, of course, people thought he was there. He must be the presenter, right? And I'm his arm candy, and that's it. And mm-hmm. so when we walked the red carpet, I actually asked him to walk with me as my partner, supporting me, right? Um, and they asked me to step aside, of mm-hmm. course, and I'm like, no, I'm the one invited. And he's like, she actually invited me. She's my PhD holding therapist partner, and I'm just here with her supporting her. Yeah, and that was really great to hear hear that yeah. as well. Yeah, because was, when people meet us, they think, oh, you know, she looks attractive, or she's so much younger. She must be this, this, and this. This right. assumption, right? Um, especially if you're dating somebody who's older or somebody that's well known. There's this. Yeah, assumption people make, and it's just simply not true. Yeah, so. it's got to be kind of frustrating. It's definitely frustrating, but it's also really fun mm-hmm. to put people in their place and say, you know, there has been a few times on Instagram where after the tabloids came out when our uh, engagement was announced, uh, where people that I knew were harmless, like just people online saying, oh, I bet she's a gold digger. I bet she's, you know, wanting him for this. I'm like, no, actually, I have my own business and I have a degree. Oh, well, I apologize. Yeah. So that's been really fun, like letting people know that that's not the case. Right. And being right. supported um, and somebody that's proud of what I do. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's so important. Yeah. To have somebody like by your side that's, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, so back to Playboy. Yeah. So back to Playboy. <laughs> so we, yeah, we shot Playboy um, in 2011. Mm-hmm. And I have was just out of school. I think it came out the next year. And um, that was just like a really great experience. It was really positive. I felt really confident doing it. I enjoyed it. I'm really glad I did it. Yeah. But it's like, okay, once and done, I'm good. Right. Yeah, did that, moving on. Um, and then knowing you, you introduced me to the publishing company that hired me to write my book. Mm-hmm. So that Clever door books. opened because of yeah. you. Mm-hmm. And if any of you guys are watching the video, we have the book right here. It's a new sex Bible for women. And uh, I shot all the pictures and Amy wrote it. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to be giving away a signed copy to um, my Patreon supporters. Mm-hmm. So you guys can... I haven't looked at this, honestly, in a really long yeah. time. Like I don't even remember... What we did. I remember Cassie was in it. Yeah. I, or Bobby, because she's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, um, uh, Quiver let me help pick the performers yes. that were the, the models that were used. And they said, you know, it's better to pick adult people because they're going to be more comfortable in these oh, positions. Yeah. We have yeah, two yeah. days to shoot it all, and we don't really have the time to wait for somebody to feel comfortable. These people are going to feel totally comfortable. Um, in these types of these positions that we want them to be in, um, so I picked her because I thought she was so beautiful. Yeah, she is, and she looks like she you know, looks amazing. She, it, she photographs it's, so great. It's so funny because you wouldn't know looking at her like the things that she says in between these beautiful photos oh, that I, we take. I love that day. She's so <laughs> wild. I just the whole time was cracking up. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because he was Danny, right? Yeah, Danny Mountain. He is so polite. And yes. He had this accent, and he was telling you know he's in a relationship, and she was just really fun and wild, and yeah. it was interesting to see their dynamic. Um, but it felt like she looked very ethnically ambiguous. You can't yes. really tell how old she is. She doesn't look super young. You know, you can't yeah. really tell. Yeah. Um, and I like her body type a lot too. I think that it was more relatable than some of the other people I saw on the. Yeah. It was really fun looking at the um, adult agency website to pick someone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really fun experience. My mom was visiting, and she's a school teacher, so she actually went through with me and helped pick the people. I'm looking at this one shot where I got like this artsy flair. Yeah, in there. it's very artsy. The yeah, we've got some really great photos in here. Yeah, 
Yeah, I love this. And they, they they just look like really happy and playful. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the photos. It's really yeah. a beautiful book. I think this is one of the very last um, uh, shoots that I did for Quiver. Actually, was your book because I haven't shot for them in years. Yeah, I don't think they're putting a lot of books out now. No. It's just I haven't seen anything new. Yeah, I, I don't think they're um, the bigger company. They ended up, I think, just publishing other things under the other smaller publishing companies yeah. under them, like. House stuff and yeah. gardening stuff. Yeah. 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 It was funny because I had two experiences of shooting people's like books specifically for them where they mm-hmm. came to set, mm-hmm. um, which was you, which mm-hmm. was fine, which was great. Yeah. And then there was this other woman. Oh my God. What was her name? Lillian or something like that. Did I tell you the story mm-hmm. about this completely batshit crazy woman that no. I shot for, for Quiver? It was, um, like about body language, she's like some body language expert. She's oh. the most horrible person I've ever met <laughs> oh, no. in my entire oh, my life. Like it was really, really bad. Like she would sit there and rather than, you know, telling me what she wanted and letting me direct the models, uh-huh. she would be directing the models, which is kind of annoying on one hand. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, she wasn't just directing the models, she was yelling at them. She'd be oh, like, no. no, change that. Don't change your face. You look stupid. You look stupid. You look oh, fat there. God. Don't stand like that. Stand the other way. Don't you look really dumb there. Why are you sitting there like that? I'm like, Lady, <laughs> holy shit. And then she would, um, <laughs> one of the funniest things that she did was, so I always wear um, my camera with a strap that yeah. I keep around my neck because I'm always yeah. terrified of mm-hmm. like dropping my camera. And so, you know, I checked the back of my camera to see how a shot looks. And she was so like anxious about seeing how the shots look that she would regularly grab the camera out of my hands and pull me into her to check the back of the camera, meanwhile choking me with the strap. Like, I'm not even joking. It was like... It was so bad that I actually called in sick on the second day and wow. I pretended like I couldn't make it and I made someone else shoot it. Like I couldn't handle oh it. Oh my gosh. It was crazy. I've never had an experience like yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't before. do that at all too. I was no, so amazed you awesome. watching you um, with lighting because you're so good at setting the lighting up to Thank look you. perfect and the skin looks perfect. And um, so I just loved watching you and then watching them because she was just so. Yeah. I mean, she flirted with me as soon as she came in. She's like, oh, yeah. You're the author? I'm like, Yeah. Oh, hi. What? What? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're really pretty, but um, so that was just a fun experience seeing yeah. just how it all kind of happened and how great you were able to get the shots that you needed and picking the outfits and the props. It was, it was fun. It was yeah. a great experience. Yeah, and it was, and it's a beautiful book. Yeah, it came out amazing. And I think just because she's brunette, people have said, "Oh, yeah, you look great on the cover of that book." I'm like, I didn't pose in my underwear <laughs> on the cover of my book I wrote. That's not me. I mean, I'm very flattered, but that's not me. Yeah, not, not every brunette girl is the same. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but after that, um, I've ended up getting licensed in my field, uh, going for my PhD in human sexuality, mm-hmm. um, and just everything else, every other door that opened. Like the having a book that you've published that's available everywhere just has opened a lot of doors for me. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's so incredible. Yeah. So you do, would you say that you concentrate on sex therapy or do you say it's just a part of your practice? It's really a part of my practice, mm-hmm. um, but most of my clients have something in that bubble that don't I work with. Don't, don't we all? <laughs> well, sexuality is a, a normal, natural part of being a human. Right. So let's say, you know, I have clients, obviously, male clients that come with, uh, to see me because they have ED or mm. they have uh, insecurity in relationships or that maybe somebody that has a fetish that is not really a problem for them, but they don't want to be shamed for it. So I have specifically sexuality-related clients that come in, people with trauma, but then if somebody comes in because they're depressed or they had a breakup and then they see that I have this specialty they're going to be more likely to open up to me about these things that maybe they had not opened up to others about in the past. So even if they don't come with me with this presenting problem, they're going to open up about that topic a little bit easier. Right. Mm -hmm. What is the most common case that you think that you see in terms of like issues with sexuality? Um, With men, two things. It's the erectile dysfunction, I'm saying that with quotations, Mm -hmm. because a lot of times they may think it's some type of biological issue, but it's actually a trauma in the past, or maybe they're not attracted to what they're actually engaging in. There's Mm. a situation of dissonance where they're in one relationship, but they actually are more interested in another dynamic or style of relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then low self-esteem with dating and sexuality in men, because there's so much pressure for men to be manly and take initiative that if you're not that guy, it can be really hard. So for men, that's what I see the most. For women, I have a few different things. I I do work with a lot of sex workers. Mm -hmm. So people that want to come to somebody that isn't going to shame them for that mm-hmm. and work with them with, with that and they feel safe and comfortable. Um, 
I also see men that see a lot of sex workers mm-hmm. and want somebody that just understands so they don't have to explain, well, this is what this means, or this is what seeking arrangements is. And mm-hmm. so they know, okay, I can just say what I want to say, and I'm not going to spend an hour explaining what this means. Yeah. Um, and have a confused therapist then shame them for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and people in open relationships, I have a lot of couples in open relationships, which are great to work with because they yeah. already have a skill set to be in that relationship typically. Mm-hmm. So their skills are typically a little bit more developed than the monogamous couples I see. Interesting, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Um, so about, um, oh my gosh, I just completely lost my train of thought. I was going to ask you about, shit, shit. <laughs> Was it about sex therapy? Yes, it was, and it was about one of the it was about one of the women cases that you were talking about. What women? Do- oh God, yeah, with sex workers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, and when I say sex worker, I'm saying that as an umbrella of anybody that right. works in the sexuality related right, right, industry. Right. Let me just drink my Red Bull. I like your Red Bull. That's off to the side. As I'm hiding it from the logo police. <laughs> you should just put it in your coffee mug. I know, actually, right? But then, mm-hmm. but then I couldn't drink my. Tasty water. <laughs> um, so, because that's interesting that you work with a lot of sex workers, because there's been a lot of talk in the adult industry lately about um, mental health and mm-hmm. mental health um, among um, porn stars and mm-hmm. sex workers, and how, you know, with the whole August Ames suicide mm-hmm. and, and everything that that brought up, you know, one of the things that she talked about was feeling like, you know, when she went to a therapist, that she was mm-hmm. shamed for what she yeah. did, and that, yeah. um, you know, she would say, I have these issues and these issues. And they'd be like, well, of course, that's why you work in the porn industry. Right. The issue is that you're doing this and you must get out of that and then you'll be better. I had a, a couple I had a couple that I saw for a while that were they were in their 70s and they were swingers. Oh, yeah. And I, I loved them. I don't see them anymore. Uh, but the they told us that, they told me that the previous therapist they went to go see shamed the wife and said, well, the reason you guys are having this issue is because you're slutty. Really? <laughs> like that was actually said. By a therapist. Wow. Um, so I'm really glad they came to me then at that yeah. point. Um, and we worked through what they actually came in about, which is, had nothing to do with their sexual activities right. at all, right. actually. Um, but seeing women that work in the sex industry, I hear that a lot, that they've gone to other therapists and just not told them what they did, mm-hmm. which this is a big part of their life. And, yeah. Um, you have to be honest with your therapist. I mean, I went yeah. to therapy for years and totally lied. <laughs> yeah. It didn't get me anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, I know how people tell me later on, like, you know how I told you I did this thing for a living? Well, I'm actually a stripper, and, yeah. you know, that's, sorry I lied the past year, but yeah. here's where we're at. Yeah, yeah, So sometimes it takes a little bit of, of time for someone to feel comfortable, um, sometimes right away. Mm-hmm. But what I do see, not only just like any person, uh, people that work in the sex industry struggle with depression and anxiety, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times, especially with women, asserting themselves mm. to whether it's their agency or who's managing them or on set and standing up for what they want or what they feel comfortable with. Um, so when I work with them on issues related to being a sex worker or being uh, an adult performer, typically it's about self-assertion, which is something anybody would deal with in the workplace, mm-hmm. especially as a woman. Do you think that they are perhaps more susceptible to that because they are, in general, by society, shamed for what they do? Absolutely. And so then, therefore, they feel like they don't have a voice. I think that could profession. play into some of it. Um, and just like some of the cases you were just talking about, being more publicly shamed mm. um, and just getting like a hypersexual type of comments from men all day, and then also getting shaming comments online. A lot of the online stuff can really tear people down. I was going to ask you if you've noticed, like, a noticeable difference in people's mental health or you've had new kinds mm-hmm. of cases or problems come up because of the proliferation of social media. Absolutely, with um, just online harassment, mm-hmm. especially with the laws having to do with that and stalking laws, harassment laws. Somebody can just go to your page and harass you every day, right. say things that aren't true. And there's really it's very, very difficult to make that stop or to hold people accountable for it. Mm -hmm. So it's not like before where people, if they came and knocked on your door and said, you're terrible, okay, you're trespassing. Or if people published something in a newspaper about you and you knew who it was, you could, you know, say that this is not true. You can do something about it. There's some responsibility being held there, whereas people online are just hiding. Right. It's anonymous and also just online, it's not taken as seriously. Right. Um, so receiving that level of harassment will wear you down over time and I think people that are out there in 
publicly in the adult industry as opposed to sex workers that are maybe not in the public eye. Mm-hmm. I think those people receive that much more criticism. Yeah. Which will wear you down over time. Yeah. Would yeah. you recommend then to people, like, what do you recommend to people when they're dealing with that to just kind of step away from? Yeah, that's that's been helpful, but it's tough when your business is driven by yeah. promoting yourself. So sometimes it's outsourcing other companies to run accounts for you, so you're mm-hmm. not seeing every little thing, if it's getting to you. Some people, yeah. it doesn't affect them in that same way. Yeah. Sometimes it's just stepping away a little bit or just being more responsible about social media use, which for everybody, that's an issue. Yeah. I see that in my non-sex worker clients as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, You know, it's funny. I remember, this is kind of random, but I remember watching the South Park once where <laughs> there was a whole episode about about uh, cyberbullying, mm-hmm. and um, basically <laughs> Cartman goes and he posts these like shirtless pictures of himself or like in his underwear, like from the gym, like online. And then mm-hmm. of course, because he's fat and gross, and he's Cartman, he gets all these like mean comments. Mm-hmm. And then uh, PC principal, did you watch South Park? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I haven't for many years, okay. so I don't know so if I've seen this one. They've but... taken on this new. There's a new principal who's very PC, and mm-hmm. he makes butters um, basically go on through Cartman's social media and delete all the mean comments. Okay. Okay. So he can only like, and so like, it's the joke about creating the safe space, right? right. Mm-hmm. And and I was watching this and I was reading it and I was like laughing at it because mm-hmm. it just seemed completely ridiculous. And they have like Steven Seagal on, who's like apparently like a big <laughs> victim of cyberbullying. I don't mm-hmm. know. Anyways, but it did make me think about how maybe for some people, like, because I don't get that much. First of all, mm-hmm. I don't get that much negativity because I think I don't put myself out there in a way that like mm-hmm. a lot of like the nude models do. Right. So, you know, I don't I don't get that kind of feedback. But I also too don't have like two million followers. Right. You know? So um but some of these girls, when I've looked at all the comments that they get, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like almost uncontrollable. Like the thousands, amount, thousands, thousands, thousands of thousands. comments. I mean in an hour. Yeah. And yeah. they'll go through and they'll read this stuff and there's just like all kinds of fucking nonsense. A lot of it's not constructive criticism. Right. A it's lot just of like, it's just ridiculous. It does, doesn't make sense. Bitch. Right. And I just wonder like if that maybe isn't something that you could have somebody else do and mm-hmm. just like kind of go through every yeah. once in a while and just take out the shit that just doesn't need to be there. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I feel or is I, that like being too protective of people. I don't think so. I think that if people cuz if you if you um flag a comment, typically mm-hmm. it gets taken down. Yeah. So um there was a girl, actually we probably both we I know you know her. Kim passed away. Yes. Uh, a few months ago and there's like gossip about her online. I've met her a few times. We've hung out with friends mm-hmm. just a couple times. She was always very nice to me. Yeah, she was always really sweet. And the comments after she passed away on her Instagram were just awful. Yeah. And you know, if it, it's so tragic that she passed away and she was young and she was really sweet. Yeah. Um, regardless of what she may or may not have been involved in, it doesn't matter. Right. If she was or wasn't, like who cares? Yeah. But a lot of the comments were these people saying these terrible things about being a whore or, you know, mm-hmm. glad you're dead, things like that. And I just went the next few days because I have friends that were very good friends with her and mm-hmm. I just took it upon myself, spent an hour or two and just blocked every, or deleted, uh, flagged every comment that was just so nasty because mm-hmm. somebody passed away. Yeah. So this, you know, it's just the the level of disrespect that people have for other human beings yeah. is pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can hire a PR company mm-hmm. to do things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, I don't know, something I've been thinking about lately. I'm like, you know, is that, is that like kind of is that like pussing out, you know? No, um or I mean, is that but that's like, your space. Like you yeah. have the right to control that too. Right. Your Instagram isn't a public place. Like you right. can make it private. Yeah. Um, which some people with big accounts do, or you can go through and flag something or hire somebody to do that for, you know, not a lot of money. You know? Yeah. So if you want a safer space, you can create it. But unfortunately, being out there like that puts you in a very vulnerable position. That's yeah. something to also just be aware of. This is a vulnerable position and that can affect you. Yeah. It yeah. just seems to be so more intense these days with the internet and with social media. Mm-hmm. You know, it just seems to kind of never be this never ending barrage of insanity. Yeah. And I think what becomes more harmful too is let's say it's a, a nude model or a webcam model or something mm-hmm. like that where they're at home. All day in front of their laptop, yes. And then they're on, they take a break from being on a laptop to being on their phone, mm-hmm. and they're taking selfies and promoting themselves that way. And people like that, I've, I've clients like that, they don't leave their house, mm. and they're constantly working. Yep. And they're just in front of a computer and a, a cell phone. Yeah. So they're only in front of these screens. So if people are talking like that, 
that's all you hear. Yeah. So when I work with clients like that, I'm like, let's make a self-care plan to get out, go hiking, disconnect from that, spend time with friends, that, and realize that that's not the, wor- the whole world. Right, That's right. just one part of the world is the online world. Yeah, because it becomes yeah. very much kind of like a bubble and people mm-hmm. start to believe that like, this is reality, but mm-hmm. it's like these are like random people from random parts. You'll mm-hmm. never ever meet these people. Right. Like these people are not like a part of your life. Mm-hmm. But people take that so incredibly to heart. Right. And the people posting it, I don't think they really realize the effect that it actually has on people. There's, I love Black Mirror. Have you seen Black yes. Mirror? Yes. Okay, there's this, it's not even my favorite episode, but it's the episode with the bees where they go in people's noses. No, I haven't seen that. Okay. One. So there's this episode where these robotic bees go up people's noses and eat their brains, kill them. Um, and it, they find out, spoiler alert, they find out that these bees were actually being programmed by Twitter by people saying death to somebody, which ends up being a fad. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just, oh, death to this famous rapper because I don't like him. I'm just going to say this. Mm-hmm. Well, the more people that tweeted this, the more it became programmed in these robotic bees and then they killed that person. Right. Um, and so they end up going, these detectives, to figure out who, who's posting this stuff that they don't realize has the power mm-hmm. to end up hurting another person so severely. And it was like a school teacher and all these people that you would never guess yeah. would be nasty like that. But that yeah. is what it is. It's the, the normal person yeah. sometimes just being nasty. Yeah. And we don't put the personal responsibility mm-hmm. on ourselves when we feel it's anonymous. And that's a whole societal and cultural issue is when we feel that we can be anonymous, we're not held accountable for the harm that we inflict on others. Right, yeah. right. What, would, what advice would you give to somebody who's interested in getting into sex work, whether or not it be webcamming or mm-hmm. modeling or anything like that, like mm-hmm. as a therapist who's yeah. worked How to in protect front of the yourself, camera right. and you know, who has experience with mm-hmm. people who work in that arena? Yeah, I would say doing a lot of research mm-hmm. um, and just understanding what that means culturally, what the risks are, mm-hmm. because a lot of people will get into that work and then end up having an issue later. I've just shot Playboy, that's it. I've mm-hmm. never done anything else nude. Um, I did that because I wanted to. I didn't really advertise it, and I'm glad I did it. Mm-hmm. However, even now, I've had a couple people come uh, and make comments at me. I had a job criticize me for it before, even though it's totally legal to do. Yeah, and it was you know how many six seven years ago, right? Um, and I've definitely been criticized, and I've had doors close in my face because yeah. of just doing the one thing that was you know very neutral to me, very bland. It wasn't mm-hmm. you know hypersexualized. Know. It's so funny because yeah, to me, like <laughs> yeah. Playboy's like nothing. I'm like you yeah. may as well have just had your clothes on. Like right. it's, it's like shooting for Target. Right. That's, like to me, like, right. that's for what you. It's well, like. yeah, I know. I don't your think, wheelhouse is a lot bigger. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't think like most people. But to me, I'm like it's just Playboy. What's the big fucking even, deal? Even my parents, when I, I asked them, I said I don't want to do it unless my parents say it's okay. Um, my mom did some research. She said, go look on the website, look at the magazines, tell mm-hmm. me what you think, if it's going to be a problem. I don't want to do it. I don't want to cause my family yeah. you know, uh, pain. So my mom called me the next day. She said, you know, it just looks like a bunch of women in the rooms taking their clothes off. <laughs> like, yeah, that's kind of what it is. Yeah, they're just like getting undressed and they look really comfortable. Like, okay. <laughs> they're just getting undressed and they look really yeah. comfortable. I'm like, that's so you'd be awesome. okay if I did that? Well, if that's all it is, yeah, that's fine. Okay. That's awesome. So I got my parents' approval That's good. to do it. But but for women that want to go into that, just doing research to what the consequences are as mm-hmm. far, and even if they're not fair. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things that just aren't fair. Um, I read an article. Forget what uh, adult actress wrote this article. Somebody, I think, from the 90s. But they said, I really didn't realize how much doing this at this point in time would follow me later, and it has closed a lot of doors on possible employment. So I mean, all these movies that you can buy in these now there's not VHS tapes, but DVD, mm-hmm. like compilation. Mm-hmm. She doesn't own the rights to them. So her content is everywhere. She mm-hmm. got paid just for that day. Use that money to live, you know, responsibly. Especially now because with the internet, now the content really is everywhere. It's everywhere and forever. As opposed to before. You're not getting residuals. Yeah. It's not like a, like a Target commercial where yeah. you're getting residuals. Oh, yeah. every time it pops up, ching. That's yep. not what's happening. So you use that money to live even if you are responsible with money. And then you're everywhere. You're not getting the money for it. And then it's harder to get a job. Because you're out there like that. Right. And that's a risk. And that's not all the time. Um, I have a friend that was dating somebody that was an adult years ago, and she went and got some engineering degree, moved to another state, and nobody at her work has any idea that she was like the biggest uh, adult person in this one specific genre. Mm -hmm. It was pretty extreme. No one even knows. She was able to just move on, do another thing, whatever. But that's not always the case, and I think that can be problematic. And the criticism for parents that have done it, it's really unfair, and 
um, a lot of legal cases where that gets brought up. So yeah, you know, it was so interesting. I was talking to um, somebody. The, I won't say who she is, but she, it was uh, really kind of genius. So basically, she was a porn star, mm-hmm. and um, she was married mm-hmm. to, and her husband was not in the business, and he wanted to have a kid. And mm-hmm. she told him that the only way that she would have a kid is if he also did a porn scene. So in case they ever got divorced, he couldn't hold that against her in a custody battle. Wow! Right? Did he do it with her? Yeah. Oh, and then okay. he also, I think, did it with some other people too. Yeah. Like it, it, it was a very short, short right. stint. But I was like. That's kind of genius, but That's also interesting. creepy in a yeah. way. But, but if it worked for them, yeah. whatever. Are they still together? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Then not a problem. Yeah. Not a problem. And sometimes it's not a problem unless it's a problem. Right. Um, I have one friend recently. She's in her 30s. Um, her Ivy LaBelle, I think is her okay. actor name. She just popped up last year, and I've known her for a long time. She's in her early 30s, and she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I, she used to do makeup, and I said, "Oh, are you still doing makeup? I'd love to get your advice on some makeup things." She's like, "No, I'm doing porno movies, and I love it." She's like, "I did it on sets for ten years. I thought about it over and over and over again, and I decided to make the leap." And she's like, been nominated for awards already, and she like loves it. That's amazing. And she's totally aware of all the risks. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, talk about like somebody who definitely got some training on the ground. I mean, right. working as a makeup artist in the industry for that long, being exposed you see to what she everything. knows. She yeah. knows, and so she you hear all the stories from the girls. I mean, mm-hmm. makeup artists are like the models therapists for the first oh, yeah. hour and a half that Absolutely. they're in makeup. Yeah, makeup artists know more than like anybody else on set. Yeah, it's amazing. So it's good hearing that too. That you know there is a stigma of people going into this because they have they're desperate yes. or because they when that's not that could be the case. Just like any any other industry, yes. but that's not always the case. Yes. And some people do research and decide this is something I'd like to do, and mm-hmm. they do it, and that's okay. Yeah, no, I've so. definitely seen a lot more of that recently. I think as you know, society has become, is becoming more open to the idea of sex and mm-hmm. has become, we're slowly becoming more progressive and it's becoming more mainstream. I'm seeing people that are coming into the industry with a more like business minded idea of like mm-hmm. what they're going to do and have a very specific career path and, mm-hmm. and, and recognize, you know, the, the, the social, the it's a social risk. Yeah. And that's, and that's that, what to take into consideration because that does wear right. you down and it can really affect you. However, if you're aware of that social risk, but you also have a good business plan and you're going into it. I think you were on a, a documentary mm-hmm. that, that discussed that or kind of looked at that different business plans of different women. Like, hot, hot girls wanted. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and talked about you know being your own boss. Is, there's a, a part of that that's very powerful. Yes. And if you plan it out correctly and you know the industry and you know how to make an income and you can manage that, mm-hmm. that's great. That's not yeah. always the case, though, with anything. Right. Yeah, any, yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that get stigmatized about adult industry are also issues that happen in a lot of industries. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame, really, about the stigma that surrounds people who work in the sex industry, mm-hmm. especially because, you know, porn is something that everybody consumes mm-hmm. consistently. Right. Do you ever uh, have patients who have porn addiction problems? They come for that, mm-hmm. um, but it's something that I'm very careful with, just like sex addiction, because mm-hmm. that's not a diagnosable term. So mm-hmm. a lot of times men will come in and say, my girlfriend says I have a sex addiction, I need to get treated for it. And usually when I dig a little bit and figure out what's going on, it doesn't even meet the criteria for compulsivity. Okay. It's okay, he watches porn here and there, and mm-hmm. she doesn't like it. Right. That's not a porn addiction. <laughs> that's not even addiction, that's not even compulsivity. That's, yeah. You're in a relationship and you don't agree on what, what is okay, or right. you have different values, and that's a relationship problem. What do you think would be the earmarks of somebody who had a porn addiction? Well, we would call it compulsivity, and if they have okay. compulsivity issues, like let's say they are engaging in anything, in this case watching porn, mm-hmm. multiple times a day, they're not going to work when they need to go to work, they can't engage in a, a healthy relationship because mm-hmm. of their desire to watch or engage in the things that they're seeing in that specifically. Mm-hmm. And that, that does happen. You know, when people oversaturate their minds with a very specific thing that they see in a, a film and then they try to replicate it in real life and it doesn't work and they go back to the film because it's easier. Mm-hmm. That's a compulsivity problem that they could be having. Okay. But that's definitely not most of the cases that come in that right. I see. When I've had clients with compulsivity issues, it's typically not just with porn. It's like it's with everything. webcam and porn and sex workers and then maybe gambling and then right. also history of alcohol. So I see the compulsivity and addiction type behaviors in a big umbrella right. of issues. It's typically not this guy just can't stop watching porn. Right. It's linked to other things. Other he's issues got, with compulsivity. Right. So yeah. he's just got addiction problems and that's mm-hmm. just one of... The symptoms. Typically, the that's what I see. Yeah. yeah, and most of the people that use the term sex addiction or porn addiction that come to me would not even fall into that 
label at all. So it's re-educating them about what's normal and what's healthy and Mm -hmm. what can be okay in a relationship, how to communicate that. If you have a partner that doesn't want you to watch porn at all Mm -hmm. and you love watching porn, that's that's a problem. You have to talk about it. Yeah. Or maybe watch porn together. I suggest uh, for clients to watch it together if one person likes it and is unsure of how a partner will will handle it. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, watch it together. Have the partner that's unsure pick out what they feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not as exciting, but that's okay. Try to start somewhere. Right. Start somewhere and and see what that person could be interested in because it can be a very healthy tool as well, depending, just like anything, how you use it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you think has been uh, one of your more interesting cases that you've gotten? Um. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like everybody's so interesting. I'm such a, I love reading about human behavior. I love Mm -hmm. learning about all different types of walks of life. And because of my specialty, I think almost most of my clients could have like a movie about their lives. Because I hear not just the overlying issue, but I hear all of these parts of their lives that they never have told anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't really think I have one case that that sticks out. And I can't really talk about detail. But even as an overview, um, yeah, I, I, I think I think all of my clients that I see are very interesting. I like seeing how my poly and open and swinger clients are able to be successful in relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always the the best part for me is seeing people succeed. Do you ever feel like you're like you pick up things and learn things from some of these clients that you have? Like oh yeah, that's things that you can apply to your relationship, your day to day. Maybe not as much to my relationship, but definitely day-to-day and just mm-hmm. hearing about different people's experiences and what has worked for them. I take book recommendations from my clients a lot. They'll mm. say, well, I'm currently reading this. I'm like, what's that? Let me write that down. Um, you know, and a lot of my clients have specialty degrees or areas that they work in. So if I have clients that work in film, they can mm-hmm. recommend films to me. But just even hearing about people's lives all the time, I think everything you hear and you expose yourself to can enrich your own life. So, of yeah. course, that, that does help, yeah. I love I love human sexuality. I just think it's so interesting and it's so multifaceted and it's so complex. It just seems to like, you know, all, all the different fe- the way you see it manifests itself and all the different fetishes that are mm-hmm. out there. You know, and oh, everything yeah. that I see is just so so fascinating. So if someone was to want to read up on like a kind of general book about human sexuality or something that would just be really riveting to them, mm-hmm. besides your own amazing book, oh, definitely what, read um, my book, definitely your <laughs> book. But would is there like any I don't know. Any de- good depends. starter book to read? It depends on what what they're looking for. I okay. mean, my book is very like basic, and not that I'm not using it like millennial basic, but like it's very like <laughs> super basic. One oh one oh one. Right, right, right. <laughs> so it's like the joy of sex or the new sex bible for women. It's pretty much like a covers everything very lightly mm-hmm. and gives suggestions of where to go if you want to go deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Pretty much when I have clients that want to learn about maybe open relationships or sexual biology, I recommend Sex at Dawn a lot. I really like Sex I at Dawn. I love that book. You know, I had Christopher Ryan on my podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, he was amazing. Yeah, he's great. He oh. he reposted a picture of me. I posted a picture. Sometimes when I read books, I post book yeah. pictures. Uh, and I geeked out when he reposted the photo because yeah. I think he's so cool. Yeah, so, no, yeah that's great cool. that you were able to yeah. interview him. He has like this cool like little place up in Topanga Canyon that we drove up to. Yeah. Remember Ernie? Ernie's like, yeah, that took me forever to fucking get there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was that. So, in biological, was, yeah, yeah, and, and so I think sometimes sex at dawn gets clumped into things to read when you're poly, mm-hmm. um, but it's really not. It's no. just to look at. Well, this could be this way, or this could be that way. Let's not make a hard, rigid rule about how we think sexuality evolved. Let's be open to many possible ways. Right. That's yeah. That's what I loved about it, and I loved um, just seeing the different ways that different cultures and different people mm-hmm. embrace sexuality. Yeah, because I mean, I'm in a monogamous relationship and mm-hmm. I have no intention of being poly or mm-hmm. anything like yeah. that. But, you know, for me it was just it was a fascinating right. book and it was funny too because I remember when I told my boyfriend about the book, I'm like, "I don't get nervous, <laughs> but I'm reading this book that's like a study of like why maybe humans aren't naturally monogamous." I'm not trying to like talk you into right. an affair. And he was like, "Okay." But being able to recognize that this isn't a biological function, but it's more cultural and it's mm-hmm. also a choice. Yes. So I'm in a monogamous relationship as well, mm-hmm. but I recognize this is a choice because this is something that I feel works for me. Right. In my life, it works for my partner and his life, and, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a choice if you feel like being poly or swinging or whatever it is is working for you, then that's great. Yeah. Yeah. What I felt, what I really liked about his book was the way that like there was so much about female sexuality that he talked about 
which is so much has been so repressed by society mm-hmm. for such a long time that like there's so much going on like bubbling I think under the surface. I mean, that it's we don't only even know. recently that we've actually right. been. It's more in uh, the Western cultures mm-hmm. acknowledging that women even have a sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that in medical textbooks up until what a hundred two hundred years ago, they mm-hmm. wouldn't even put the the clitoris in. The medical illustrations. Wow. It's like it just didn't exist. It wasn't yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and most of that's because they didn't want to look at cadavers. Or they didn't want to look at women's bodies. Right. The people that were making these illustrations. So mm-hmm. a lot was just left out mm-hmm. about women. Wow. Which is such a disservice to women's health, right. women's reproductive health. Right. Not to have the right kind of care, not to have the right kind of medical information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just reading it, even like it almost made me feel like sexually hung up myself, you yeah. know, which I like kind of always. But we are in this culture, but then I am in this country, even in Southern California compared to like San Francisco, mm. we're a lot more conservative. Yeah, um, I practice in West Hollywood, so I practice in a very liberal area, mm-hmm. and still people have these conservative or more repressed feelings about their sexuality, what it means, and especially as a woman. Yeah, um, so I think that we're getting better in our culture there's more space for those types of things mm-hmm. but we're not there yeah yeah so what are you doing these days are you mostly like seeing patients mm-hmm. and i have a private practice in west hollywood so okay. i see patients full time uh-huh. um, which is great so mm-hmm. i see people like four or five days a week pretty long days mm-hmm. um again some related to sexuality some not depression and anxiety mm-hmm. change of life stuff uh and then i write here and there or i'll get called to consult about articles Jump on podcasts here and there. Yeah. And I have a few other things in the works. I've been like throwing around like some outlines for another book idea, mm-hmm. mostly focusing on like sexual responsibility, which okay. I think there's a big lack of information out there about okay. what that means and um, whether that's knowledge about sex education or how to set boundaries. Mm. Um, yeah, it feels like consent is like a big issue right, right now, now with the Me Too stuff and all yeah. that movement. Consent um, and also being able to articulate yourself as a woman. You yeah. see a lot of stories of women saying, I felt violated and I felt so frozen. I couldn't say something. Yeah. Um, so being able to give people the tools so they feel more comfortable speaking up or know how to do that because yeah. it seems like people don't have the tools. You don't, you don't get that in school. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because that takes me back to the whole story with the, I can never pronounce his name. Aziz Aziz Ansari, whose book I like. I like Modern Romance. I actually recommend that to my clients. I haven't read it, but um, I mean, obviously, you know, the whole scandal and Mm -hmm. there's just been so much debate back and forth over whether or not, you know, she should have articulated her you know, mm-hmm. her desires more or how she really felt or she should have left or whatever. Mm-hmm. And her whole thing was like, well, I was dropping all these hints and you didn't take the hint. You didn't mm-hmm. get the hint. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that that was kind of an interesting story that was, I feel like there's a glaring falls lack into this of communication. gray area yeah. and these stories that come out that still are presented in ways that are feeling as equivalent as Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this story, but Aziz Ansari too and James Franco too. Well, okay, these are different, mm-hmm. but these are still important to talk about. Yeah. We weren't there. We don't know what happened. So saying yeah. she should have done this or he should have done that, mm-hmm. we weren't there. We don't know. Right. But it does raise an important conversation about people articulating themselves, knowing their boundaries. And also for men, I see a lot of male clients mm-hmm. and that are single and trying to date and having a hard time dating. And they're like, do I have to have a contract out? Yes, I can touch your breast. Yes, mm-hmm. I can kiss you with my tongue. Mm-hmm. You know, and right now, unfortunately, I think verbalizing as much as possible to protect yourself mm-hmm. is important. Yeah. And it sucks that it has to be that way. Yeah. But if you're a male to protect yourself, you may need to do that. You yeah. need, to, need to err on the side of caution. Right. And I think that's a good way to think with anything with dating and sexuality, there's especially when wrong, it's casual. Yes. There's nothing wrong with necessarily taking it a little bit slow. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and and even if that, let's say you do want to hook up on a first date or mm-hmm. just have casual sex, there's no shame in that either. Mm-hmm. But be aware that if you don't know somebody, you don't know what their background is, if they've had trauma, you don't mm-hmm. know what their issues are. Mm-hmm. So when they're giving you this body language or this hint, you might not pick up on it. Mm-hmm. So if it's casual, you are taking more of a risk because you don't know them. Right. And that's the that's the iffy part, but it just erring to the side of caution, whether it's taking it slower or also just articulating everything for now. Mm-hmm. Because you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I have uh, guys I see that are 
young and they're in open relationships and, you know, they have a quantity of sexual encounters, mm-hmm. like multiple times a week, meeting people online, and they disclose that they're in an open relationship, they use protection, but for somebody who's not familiar with those lifestyles, mm-hmm. they might feel uncomfortable with this and make right. a complaint against somebody. Right, so, right. So just being very cautious. Yeah. I remember it's funny. When I first met my boyfriend, I tried to sleep with him on the first date and he wouldn't let me. <laughs> <laughs> he was the one who was like, let's wait, let's wait. I want to make it special. I'm like, what? Bitch, what are you talking about? <laughs> it was so funny. Like the complete opposite. How long did you end up waiting then? A day. I got him. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got him on the next date. Are you kidding me? There's no I way. Like how you fr- I got him. Yeah, and I'm like, like I got him. Got him on that next. Date. I mean, I got. I managed to blow him that night, but fuck, dude, it took me forever. I mean, it was like some serious. Did you have to like ask him? Like, can I? Like, will you let me do this if we can't have sex? What? Um, I think I just kind of. I don't remember. I don't think I was that. Expl- I don't think it was that explicit about it. I just think I just kept going for it, and eventually he gave up. And you've been together how long now? Yeah, almost two years. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And I have uh, like female clients asking me too. Well, how soon is too soon? Well, th- there's no yeah. rule. There's yeah. no rule. People hook up on the first date, stay together forever. People yeah. wait many, many months, and it doesn't work out. I personally just feel like it's all about that connection. Like either you have it or you don't. Right. I've never believed in the whole like oh make them wait. You know what I mean? Because well, if it's like, a game, if you're making a way to prove a point, then yes. you're playing into a psychological game that yes. plays into a cultural issue yes. that hurts women, doesn't help women. What, yeah. Okay, what game do I have to play to get this guy? Yeah. And that that becomes unhealthy. And I try with women that I see to help deconstruct that. Mm-hmm. Instead of, what game do I play? Because my friends say, wait five days, or wait seven days to call him, or you know, I have to do this to make him want me more. Okay, well, what feels authentic to you? Right, right. Do you feel authentic being sexual quickly, or do you feel more authentic waiting? Right. And that's it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's just like whoever, however it works for you. And I mean, you know, I've, I've definitely slept with guys and then not heard from them again, but that mm-hmm. was okay because I actually didn't care to right. hear from them again. And I've totally <laughs> And been, that's fine. And that was fine. And yeah. I've totally been rejected before. And, yeah. you know, it's just all about like, it's just not going to, you know what I mean? It doesn't make me less of a person just right. because somebody's not interested in me. They just like, for me, I try to look at it as like, well, you know what? I appreciate that he didn't waste my time right. and and drag me along. And, and it's all practice, yeah. whether it's sexual skill practice or mm-hmm. even knowing what you like and what you don't like. That's mm-hmm. what dating is about. That's what sexual exploration is about. Every time you hook up or you go on a date, you're eliminating what works and what doesn't for another future partner. Right. You're not right. going to meet the love of your life, your lifelong partner, your first date, the first time you have sex. Right. I mean, you could, but it's very unlikely. Right. So it's all practice. Yeah. Just to make you better and more insightful about yourself. Yeah. When I work with people that have issues with their sexuality or connecting to their sexuality or maybe trying to understand why they don't feel good or do feel good about certain sexual situations, I'll have them make a list of their three best and three worst sexual experiences, not just like how the sex was, like mm-hmm. the penetration or whatever, right. but what feelings came about it, you know, mm-hmm. what factors were then influencing what felt good and what factors were there when it felt bad. Right. And that can give some insight to maybe what's going on with why they're coming to me. Yeah, so because maybe they had some kind of traumatic experience when they were Could a kid. Could be trauma, or maybe they maybe they do realize, uh, when I have casual sex, I don't feel comfortable, or maybe I realize when I've been drinking and then I have sex and wake up and my memory's foggy, I end up feeling very depressed, or, mm-hmm. you know, just looking at the factors around the discomfort yeah. and what they mean to that person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Amy. Yeah, thanks for having me. So good to see you. (laughs) So, guys, make sure you pick up um, her book, The New Sex Bible for Women. Um, I think it's available on Amazon, right? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Borders, all the bookstores. Yeah. If you can actually find an actual bookstore these know, days. Right? They're so rare. I know, it's so sad. I saw one at the Beverly Center the other day. There's an Amazon physical bookstore. Oh, really? And it was like seeing an oasis in the desert. And oh I was in there God. for like an hour and I walked out with a bunch of books. And you actually get the Amazon Prime discount if you have Amazon Prime and you go into this bookstore. Isn't it kind of ironic though? Because Amazon's probably what killed bookstores. And but then they're making a bookstore, bookstore. Which actually, I <laughs> applaud. Thank you, yeah. Amazon because I miss bookstores, but I, please put a coffee shop inside. Um, so it's available at all those places, that anywhere that sells like a major retailer of, of books. Fantastic. That's my book. And then uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, at Dr. Amy Harwick, A-M-I-E, H-A-R-W-I-C-K on Instagram, Twitter, but I don't check Twitter, yeah. so don't bother. Um, and I think Facebook. All of them are just Dr. Amy Harwick at my website. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Congratulations on your engagement. Thank you. I can't believe I talked a whole hour without mentioning my cat, by the way. that That's <gasps> like monumental to me. So, And I know oh, you're no. a pet person, too. I know. It's a good thing. It's and we didn't thing. talk about your love of uh, taxidermy, either. I know, and I'm getting new stuff, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> shit. 
Have you That's seen? Okay. Um, it's okay. I never go in order on this podcast, anyways. Um, <laughs> have you seen? Uh, you've seen um, Crap Taxidermy, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the so website. Good. I, it's brought, so good. I bought my friend that book the other day. Yeah, I don't have any like rogue taxidermy or really bad taxidermy pieces, but I am buying from a friend um, a goat that stands upright. It's on uh, made out of one of those big Barbie doll things that are like three feet tall, mm-hmm. but it has a goat head, and he's wearing a fancy Victorian outfit with tights. Oh my and his god! His name is King Lewis. It's a like an art taxidermy piece. Oh wow! So I'm I'm getting that. That's that's coming. And then you I also sent me a picture of that. It oh, he's so fancy. Creepy. He's so fancy. So the the problem is now I live with my partner. I live mm-hmm. with my fiance, and that's not his natural thing that he likes. <laughs> yeah. How, so, how, how's that been working out for you? He guys? likes pop art and eccentric things, and then I like very macabre. Things. I'm always like taking him to cemeteries and stuff, uh-huh. which like he actually does enjoy. One of our first few dates, I made him go to Forest Lawn Cemetery in Glendale. Mm-hmm. Actually, has a great art gallery, and they had oh, a really? David Bowie photography exhibit that has nothing to do with death inside the the. the Cemetery. Oh wow! Yeah, so I, I take love it. cemeteries too. Oh, you have to go to the Forest Lawn okay. um, one. I'll There's actually a Peanuts, like the cartoon, the Peanuts. Yeah. There's a Peanuts football exhibit inside this art gallery right now in Forest huh. Lawn. Interesting. So, and then I took him to a lecture on cats. And he, you know, he'll, he'll do the, he'll humor me, but he'll actually have a good time. But there's a fine line. Like he's fine with me having human bones that are old. They're all ethically sourced, all yeah. old medical stuff from like the early 1900s. Right. Um, but with when if anything too macabre. He's like, not, nah, not in this house. So there's a fine line there. But Have we you actually seen the goat yet. He likes the goat because it's funky. Okay. Anything that's like a little funky. Okay. He'll be into. Okay. Um, so he likes the goat, uh, and most of my other stuff he likes. But I, I have it sectioned. I have it kind of quarantined in right. my area. Yeah. You get, you get like <laughs> instead of a man cave, you get like your woman. cave. I do. Which I have is a woman literally cave. Actually filled with bones. And which I created is kind of it like a Victorian like bordello lounge. That's oh, the that's with like a, like a wolf taxidermy head and all these things. And most of the things I found are either for sure ethically sourced. Maybe mm-hmm. they died naturally, and then mm-hmm. somebody you know did their thing with them, or they're so old mm-hmm. that they would have ended up being trashed. Yeah. So I recently found a um, was given a bear rug from the early 1900s, and somebody went and cut his paws off after it was made because the paws are very valuable. Mm-hmm. And so I thought this poor bear was probably killed in the 1800s, mm-hmm. made into a bear rug, and then um, like destroyed by somebody that wanted this valuable part of his body. And he just looks like a mess. And everyone's like, just throw that thing in the trash. I'm like, no. And so I had him restored. I wow. doctored him all up and, you know— so I think sometimes uh, I like rescuing yeah. old pieces of art and like taxidermy preserving their and preserving memory. them. Yeah, because I think it gives honor. And you know, I think the the fascination I have with taxidermy and I collect a lot of kind of like macabre death stuff mm-hmm. is just a reminder of being alive right. and showing honor to people that have been alive or things that have had life and have passed. And uh, I like that. So, oh my god, yeah, <laughs> I like that too. That's a good way. That's a nice way of looking at it. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I don't see it as dark or weird. I see it as yeah. a way to honor life. So, um, but yeah, my section of the house is actually my my woman cave is pretty pretty creepy. So. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's so unique. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on, and um, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, you can follow me on. Twitter and Instagram at Holly Randall. And if you want to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash Holly Randall Unfiltered. See you guys next week. That was a great, very educational episode. Um, I loved that we covered everything from the power of female sexuality and women needing to own their sexuality and to shed the shame that has cloaked female sexuality for so long too what a porn addiction is and how to recognize the signs of that and how to deal with it. So thank you so much, Amy, for coming on. That was a really interesting episode and we appreciate your time and congratulations on your engagement. Next week on the podcast, we have the one girl that everybody has been asking for, Madison Ivy. Yes, she is here and we have an incredible episode coming up for you guys. So make sure that you do not miss it. Next week, on Holly Randall Unfiltered with Madison Ivy.